Hello, my name's Tamsin Westhall and welcome to Fresh from the Pod. Now in this episode, I'm going all exotic. I'm focusing on the plants that aren't as hardy, but have that amazing paradise tropical look. But can we grow them? Are our gardens warm enough? So to find out the answers, I've spoken to expert Saul Walker. He's head gardener of Stonelands Garden in Devon, Q-trained and very knowledgeable having travelled so extensively. I'm going to find out from him exactly what is an exotic plant and how we can get the most out of them. Thank you for joining (laughs) me. That's okay. Yeah, lovely to be here. Now, Saul, I've picked on you. I want your advice. We're heading into summer and it's that dodgy time, isn't it, of do you put your plants out? Can Mm. I grow exotics in the garden? Mm. And you have vast experience. You garden in Devon. You did garden in Cornwall. Mm. And you are the other half of the Talking Heads podcast with Lucy Mm. Chamberlain. So I know you have the knowledge to help me and my listeners. Um, (laughs) So exotics, what do you grow successfully in Devon? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, You know, there's a lot of people out there doing exotics. A lot of us were inspired sort of about 15 years ago by a chap called Will Giles. Oh, yes. Who grew an absolutely amazing exotic garden just on the outskirts of London and introduced a lot of plants to the English garden that many of us had thought weren't possible. So the word exotics actually... Although lots of people will think bananas and gingers and things, it actually encapsulates quite a wide range of plants. And the whole point is that when they're put together, they're meant to give the garden an exotic look. So there are actually lots of plants within that bracket that can go from all the way from very tender to almost ungrowable, all the way down to things that are hardy, down to minus 40 degrees. But the main thing that ties them all together is there is an exotic look to them. So that generally comes either within their leaves... So we've got big leaves or big serrated leaves and they give that jungly look or they've got these fabulous looking flowers, lots of colour, lots of uh, different uh, shapes and forms. So exotics can sort of fill a whole spectrum of uh, plant types and plant conditions, areas you can grow them. So I garden in Herefordshire, you garden in Devon. Mm. What we could grow would be incredibly different. If, If I don't have anywhere to overwinter... I'm looking at a different portfolio of exotics, aren't I, to you? Sort of broadly speaking, we can you can split exotics in two. There are what we call the hardy exotic plants. So you're looking at things like your your fatsias. There's a certain plant called Tetrapanax papyrifera Ooh, uh, lovely. rex, yeah. which yeah. Is, is, is a lot hardier than you think it is. It looks like it's died over winter, but it'll come back. Lots of other sort of big-leaved woody uh, trees like Polonia. Even some of the magnolias fall into sort of an exotic look. There's um, the big-leaf, banana-leafed magnolia, magnolia macrophylla, which is these huge, great leaves. Uh, And things like rhododendron, macabianum, and cyanograndi, some of the very large-leafed rhodes can also fall into that exotic look. So... If you're looking at a place which you probably think is a little bit borderline, you get more frosts than average, there are a lot of plants down the hardy exotic end that you can actually grow. Whereas people like me in Devon and and lucky microclimates all along the south coast, lucky mostly where the maritime 
climate is is influenced you've got these westerlies coming off the atlantic that keeps our temperatures a good three to four degrees up there are a lot of more things on that end of the at the spectrum that you you can grow as well so th- then you're looking at your bananas uh, and a lot of the gingers uh, but also things like uh, elephant's ears the colocasia and alocasia right. f- family uh- um, and there's also a, a, a big group of plants in the uh, Raleaceae family, which has fatsia in it. But there's a lot, uh, a lot more genus which are trying with these massive leaves, Oreopanixes, um, Brassiopsises, and things like that. Oh, making me feel all warm. It's lovely, isn't it, <laughs> to think of big tropical plants? Now, yeah. I went to Tresco, um, yep. Silly Isles, gosh, yep. twenty years ago. And um, that's where I just completely fell in love with this exotic look. I mean, that is the the sort of mildest, Mm. um, warmest part of the British Isles, isn't it? So there you see proteas. I've still got a little notebook with plants that I want to grow one day. And Mm. one that I have failed is the Echium Pinianum. Have I said that right? Yeah, that's right. And I have got the most pathetic sample in my polytunnel, which is heated. (laughs) I mean, is it ever going to grow in in Herefordshire in a sunny spot? Yeah, see, that's a classic example of the difference between probably here and further up country is things like echiums actually grow almost, they're almost naturalised in parts of Devon and in Cornwall, and you'll see them growing in the cliff sides. In fact, I've got five growing in my garden at the moment and they're all over 10 foot just oh, about to no. flower i know i'm sorry off. S- sorry oh. sorry to let you down there you can get away with things up country but you do need to like you've said is you need to uh, think about the overwintering conditions because that's the main thing generally in the british isles uh, give or take a few weeks we have very similar summers in fact, down in the West Country, we generally have cooler summers than uh, a lot of places do up north and even Scotland, where they'll have warmer summers. Um, but the key is the winter temperatures getting low. And also, one of the things that kills off a lot of exotics is the cold plus the wet. Yes, so if that's you, very if you true. Have, if your pots are, are waterlogged when they go into winter, you generally find it really hard to dry them out enough and the plants just suffer from it and they'll just rot off. Um, but you, if you have got the growing conditions, a, a greenhouse or a polytunnel that you can probably keep heated, but also well ventilated so that you reduce the moisture levels in, you can generally quite successfully overwinter things like echium and your, and your bananas and all the other sort of marginal tender things. Um, but it is a lot more difficult. Down here, we can get away with a lot of stuff outside. Most of my banana collection has been outside all winter. Uh, we have had a very mild winter this this winter. It's quite an exception to some other winters, although we have had some recent sharp frosts. But they have been happily growing all winter um, outside. Um, so if you're really, <laughs> I always say this, if you're really, really into exotics, it may be worth thinking about moving house before you start right. trying to okay. uh, put up massive greenhouses and, and polytunnels because at the end of the day, you're going to have far more success according to where you are in the country uh, than trying to maybe replicate the conditions in an area which won't naturally have those conditions anyway. But what's your thoughts on, you know, people are in love with their houseplants at the moment, which is fantastic mm. to see. What's your thoughts of trying to grow these exotics that prefer a garden as a houseplant? Is that a ridiculous idea? Is that possible? What would you... Yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of... 
I will say in the last t- 10 years, a lot of things that were house plants, say 10, 15 years ago, a lot of us can actually grow outside quite successfully. And what one of the old adages is if you uh, have a good climate is actually to take all your house plants outside for the summer anyway, because yeah. you'll find they'll do a lot better uh, and overwinter a lot more successful if they've had that time outside. It all depends on what the plant is in some ways. Things like echiums would never do very well out indoors. One of the problems with indoors is uh, it's quite shady, even though you think the light levels are quite high because our eyes adjust to being indoors. Actually, the light levels, unless you've got a, a massive conservatory or some really good veluxes, is actually quite low indoors. So actually, a lot of the plants, exotics that need high light levels, even if you bring them indoors, they'll just wallow away. You know, they might grow successfully. You, you might see them growing, but they'll never live up to their ultimate potential. And some of them may just keep on putting on leaves and never flower because they don't have that uh, length of um, uh, season in the light to uh, ripen it up and get the, and get it flowering. Yeah. So worth a try, possibly, if you're desperate mm. to try something, yeah. you know, what have you got to lose? But I mean, as you've mentioned, the great thing about them is growing in containers, isn't it? So mm. You could transform a really lovely city garden, courtyard garden with exotics mm. because the temperature tends to be higher, doesn't it? And more protected uh, uh, from frost. The classic way for growing exotics is in pots because you can move them around and you can move them from their summer position, say in the garden, to their winter positions, whether that's under glass or in a polytunnel, or even if you can just put them in the lee of a wall of your house, you'll be surprised the temperature difference between a few metres away from your house and right next to your house, especially when you've got the heating on, you could yeah. you could have the difference between having a frost and not having a frost. And a lot of these plants are on that borderline that if you don't, if they don't get frosted, they'll quite happily survive the winter and then regrow and then you can move them out again in the pots. And what's your thoughts, because I can't stand this, is when you go to a garden in the winter and there's just fleece everywhere, everything's wrapped up and it looks like sort of mummified plants. Is that... I mean, I know it's necessary in some places, mm. but my view is, is well, I'm not sure I want to grow that plant if I've got to look at it like that for the winter. Yeah, it's interesting. I think if you go to some of the real um, hardcore exotic growers, and there's a lot of them down in the southwest and uh, all along the south coast, their winter gardens aren't really that much to look at. It is a lot of polytunnels, protection, plants looking you know, half deadish. A lot of um, growth is uh, has been frosted back, etc. So I think if you're getting into exotic gardens, it's not a garden that is a good-looking garden all year round, like some yeah. some really classic English country gardens, which can have uh, a really good winter look as well as a summer look. You have to um, subscribe to having that ultimate-looking garden for a very short period of time in the year which is generally from june onwards and most exotic gardens zenith is actually late august into september when they've had that long season of sun and heat which has allowed all this volume of foliage to grow and then you get that real jungle look so uh, exotic gardens not for everyone if they want a garden that looks good say for winter or early spring uh, it's definitely for uh someone who's more used to being out in the garden maybe later in the summer. So it's almost like a sort of power pack, isn't it, of energy in the summer that's like this wow. And I think in larger gardens, you know, places like Great Dixter, et cetera, where Mm. they grow a lot of this sort of planting, is it it is impact. You visit for that season, don't you? And they intersperse it with dahlias and all lots of lovely, lovely things like that. 
again, going back to what I was saying earlier, there are lots of plants that you can intermingle with the like the true exotics that have that exotic look. You just mentioned uh, dahlias, but there's lots of grasses out there, all kinds of things, um, and lots of bedding as well that you can sort of intermingle if you want to extend your exotic season. That sort of will give you a few more, maybe a month or two either side uh, until the actual proper exotics put on their full display. Uh, if you're thinking about that way, but you're never ever really going to get a proper exotic garden for the winter. If you really want to have an exotic garden all the year round, you might want to spend half your year in Madeira or somewhere Ooh, more exotic. Do you know, Madeira is like the best. I go to Madeira quite a lot. Yes, yes. Um, and it is, if, if you're looking for inspiration, that mm. is the place to go as a gardener, isn't it? Yeah, I do. Um, I do garden holidays on top of my normal job, and uh, I do one to Madeira every year. And it is the place that I go. Uh, and really lucky with the Madeiran climate is that it is a year-round paradise in some ways. Yeah. So any time of the year you go, you can get some kind of inspiration. Um, I, you know, I just wish the UK was just a little bit further south than we may be able to replicate because we uh, in the West Country we definitely have enough moisture here to have that jungly feel but those temperatures are just not just not right just five degrees more and you, you we never know you know climate change is happening uh, obviously maybe in 10 20 30 years time we will be able to get away with a lot more than we can now and maybe have that madeiran look who knows yeah i mean that is an interesting point isn't it climate mm. change and our plant palette i think people have been trying more tender plants and mm. i find it quite frustrating when people come around my garden and they say and they'll ask me about a plant and i'll say oh it's not it's not fully hardy and they go oh i'm not interested then i think oh no we're missing out on this entire catalog of amazing plants yeah and absolutely. when something when something isn't quite hardy it's almost like a, a sort of brilliant challenge isn't it to get it get it going in your garden and it's doubly more oh. exciting I think that's what gets a lot of us exotic growers is the challenge of actually getting a plant firstly through winter, but also getting it to fulfill its full potential, trying to get it through the summer. Um, I've started growing a lot of Brugmansia, which is the Lovely. big angels trumpets. Uh, and they're actually a lot easier to grow than you think. Uh, they obviously do need a bit of winter protection, uh, although there are some more hardier ones than I think we take credit for. But um, it's there's a particular way of looking after it. It needs a lot of feed and a lot of water and a lot of sunshine. But if you get it all right, then you get this absolutely explosion of uh, these massive, it can be foot-long trumpets uh, later in the year. And when that happens, I think for a gardener like myself, that's the vindication for why we grow these things. And we put a lot of work into trying to get them to do their, you know, their ultimate thing. Yeah, I mean, they, they are beautiful, aren't they? Aren't they slightly, you know, aren't they poisonous? If you have them in a confined conservatory and you go to sleep in there, might you never wake up? Or am I being dramatic? They are narcotic. No, they are. They're, yeah. they're, uh, and especially if you get the sap on you or you ingest it. 
But I've got about, oh, I think about 15 varieties and it doesn't affect me so much. There is a saporific effect, but there's a saporific effect with lavender and um, other plants. So it's a very similar thing. Um, I wouldn't go eating it, that's for certain. And maybe if you've no. got a pet, you might want to think about it a little bit more. Um, but there are a lot of plants out there that are actually on point. Euphorbia is a great example that, you know, the sap there is not very good for you. So I think some people think exotics can be these slightly, you know, weird, and wonderful narcotic things but they're just the same as any of our normal plants that we we've grown for many years now your passion is um australian orchids am i right uh, yes that's right yes uh, this is something i know absolutely nothing about so <laughs> i mean are you growing these indoors do you have a specialist greenhouse what's what's the how do you look after those? yeah so um mostly they're dendrobiums uh for any orchid nuts out there i know what i mean which are these ca- uh, mostly cane orchids and, and they do grow from all the way from oceana all the way up uh, through uh, asia minor into india so there are more tropical end ones the reason i like australian ones is they can actually tolerate lower temperatures and a bit more what i call abuse i think everyone sees orchids as quite fussy plants and some of them can be and need a lot of mollycoddling to get them through but actually there's a lot of orchids either end of that bell curve which are actually a lot more hardier and a lot more tougher than people think so generally i do grow them in a greenhouse outside it's um it's uh heated to uh, eight degrees minimum um, so that's not as high as many people think. And to be honest, down the West Country, if we dip below eight degrees, that's actually a very cold day. Yes. <laughs> Mostly it stays <laughs> quite warm down here. Um, and yeah, I just let them get on with it. And um, they're not as hard as many people think. Um, if, if people really want to try orchids that are a little bit more hardier than, say, the Australian ones, is I've just started getting into terrestrial orchids. So things like your Pleonies, your Cypripediums, Dactorizers, these um, orchids you can actually plant out into your garden. Uh, and they're getting more and more popular. A lot more nurseries are doing them. So if people want to give a go to an orchid that's a bit hardier, I can highly recommend getting something like one of the Dactorizer spotted orchids and just putting in their beds and they should come back year after year and make yeah. these really wonderful plants. We've got, I've got those in my garden and they're amazing. Mm. They sell seed and they're yes. just stunning. But what you have to watch is not to weed them out very early mm. on. Just keep an eye for these little spotted leaves. Mm. But going back to growing um, orchids inside, mm. is it true that you need to water them with rainwater? Yes, the softer the water, the better. I'm very lucky. Again, I'm very lucky being down in Devon. We have really soft water down here because it comes straight off Dartmoor. Um, so I can actually get away with using uh, tap water in an emergency when my water butts run out. Um, probably the further I used to live in London for a few years, and that was a lot more trickier because they're very hard water. You can use um, uh, the the water. Um, what's they called? The um, clarifiers. The, right. Um, the softeners. D, the, yeah, softeners. That's it. The water yep. softeners. If you if you want to um, try and get away with using hard water, but it probably is best. Actually, to be honest, it's not just orchids. All plants appreciate soft rainwater, especially house plants, more than they probably do appreciate your uh, tap water at home because tap water is full of all kinds of uh, different things that you won't find in rainwater. But um, if ideally you can use rainwater, none ideally uh, you can use the soft if you've got really soft water. But if you've got hard water, I would definitely try and soften it first or maybe try and even try and harvest your own water would probably be the best bet. Okay. Um, now, from the sublime to the ridiculous, <laughs> um, tree ferns. Okay. 
Now, I have a sort of checkered past with tree ferns. I got caught jumping a red light many years ago. I'd got a little sports car and I'd strapped this tree fern into the front seat. <laughs> right. And the lights were just changing. I thought, if I don't, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose my fern. So right. I, I, I have this sort of, ah, but they are gorgeous, but I can't keep them alive in Herefordshire. They just, right. they just, they're, they're gone. I've lost right. probably three. So yeah. is it, I don't know, what What would you advise? Am I just see, wasting see, my time? Or There is two things with tree ferns. Uh, they don't like very, well, and it depends on the tree fern. So you, your classic tree fern is your Dixonia antarctica, which is the ones you'll see mostly at the garden centres. Yeah. There are some other types of tree ferns um, in the Dixonia genus, but there's also Cyathea as well. Uh, which is a lot uh, more trouble, actually. So if you're not if you're not able to deal with Dixonia, it's probably not worth going on to Cyathias. But the the main th- two things is yes, they don't like it too cold, although they will deal with a frost, um, especially if they're pro- in a protected area. So they do prefer having uh, some kind of canopy over them. They definitely don't like being in full sun. And they definitely don't like being in full sun if they're in a dry soil. So moisture is their real big thing. They'll, they can generally grow in lots of areas as long as they've got constant moisture at the base, at the roots, because they're always wicking it up their stem. But basically, the living part of a tree fern is right at the top, and they'll send their roots through all the old fern fronds to go right down into, the, into their base and into the soil. And they constantly need to be taking up moisture. And, and literally, you only need a dry day or, or dryness at the roots for one day, and that can really set a Gosh. tree fern back. So it, it's worth, if, you, if you're trying to grow them, it's really worth making sure the soil is full of organic matter. So it's worth mulching, 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 digging in whatever you can in the way of organic matter, and then trying to site the tree fern so that it is in either partial shade or even sort of half shade for most of the day. So it's not getting the beating sun. And then when you're trying to establish it, keep watering it because it takes a bit of time to put those roots down. But you must make sure it always stays moist. I mean, what is amazing is the tree fern that died. I've I've kept the stump because they're quite wonderful. It's dead as a dodo. Mm. And my husband tried to saw it in half to get rid of it onto the compost heap. It's like iron inside. Mm. If you ever tried to, to chainsaw a tree fern trunk, I mean, it's quite incredible. You can see why they're so slow growing because mm. they're just so dense. Mm. Unbelievable plants, quite unbelievable. Yeah, and if you do get if you do get a dead stem, you can actually grow orchids in it. Oh, fantastic <laughs> so, uh, idea! Can, yeah, yeah, you can actually you can actually use it to grow epiphytic orchids in. So, well, I've got plenty of that. I can, I can. There you go. Yeah, Give I can make a, a living out of that now. Mm. <laughs> So really, as we head from, where are we now? We're April running into Mm. May. We're looking at really focusing on the weather forecast, aren't we, in our particular area, if we're growing those tender exotics. Mm. Um, But I do love your idea of looking for hardier, exotic-looking plants, Mm. especially for people like me further up the country. Mm. Um, Are there any nurseries that you would recommend 
that we we head to. Yeah, there's there's a few good ones. Obviously, being in the West Country, I'm going to be a bit West Country specific. There's one just outside Taunton called Desert to Jungle. They're very good and they'll supply you both ends, actually, of that exotic spectrum. So they've got Mm -hmm. a lot of hardy and a lot less hardier. Um, um, tropical plants. There's a, it's a bit of a way to go for anyone up country, but there's a great nursery down near Penzance called uh, Hardy Exotics, and he really does specialise in plants that will grow uh, in our climate but look exotic. And his polytunnels are absolutely full of things. There are lots of places that will uh, are selling more and more. Uh, exotic things especially things like uh, b- bananas um there's a variety called bazju musa bazju which is the hardy japanese banana and it's actually being realized that it's a lot more hardier than people gave it credit for so i think whereas you would see it in devon cornwall quite a lot it's actually spreading up country and I've, i think i've seen nurseries up in sheffield and places selling that so it's always worth even going down your normal garden center because they are selling more and more of these hardier ex- exotic uh, plants if you're really getting into it, if you're really getting into exotics and you really want to start branching out, there are three plant fairs that I can highly recommend. Um, there's one at Abbotsbury Subtropical Gardens, which is on the coast of Dorset that happens every year. There's one down in Cornwall. Oh, there's two down in Cornwall. There's one called the Tregraham Plant Fair and the other one called the Tremonier Plant Fair. The Tregraham one usually happens in June. It won't be happening this year, unfortunately. But um, the Tremonier one happens in September. And they attract orchid, uh, sorry, not orchid, uh, exotic nuts from not just our area, but up country. But they're also getting people coming from over from Holland and France now uh, because we're getting some very select nurseries coming down to actually sell their plants. Um, So it's well worth keeping an eye out for those. Um, And like I say, generally in the West Country and the South Coast is where you're going to find most of these nurseries selling these kind of plants. So if you are up up north a bit more, it's well worth um, sort of scouting a bit further afield to, to find these nurseries. Or moving house, as you suggested. So, um... <laughs> I, I would, I would always advise anyone to move to Devon. It's the world's best county. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Saul. And I think it's it's a wonderfully exciting group of plants to look at. I, I'm sure your enthusiasm will dribble through into the horticultural world. So, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but Saul has really encouraged me and inspired me to maybe try something a little more exotic. It doesn't come without its risks, but then that's part of the fun of gardens, the adventure. So keep an eye on the weather forecast, support some small independent nurseries and try a plant this summer that will turn your garden into a tropical paradise. Fresh from the Pod is presented by me, Tamsin Westhorpe, and produced by Candide in their plant-filled Bristol office. Candide is a free plant and gardening app with a helpful community of plant lovers, interesting articles and great tools like plant identification and garden tours. Ask a question in the app with the hashtag FreshFromThePod and I'll choose my favourite to answer later in the series. And if you enjoyed Fresh From The Pod, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, share it on Reddit and talk about it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.